excited to know that you're all here for the final part of our series, Living on Amber, and um, we really hope that this series has really been great for you. We've really enjoyed it, and we just want you to know that if you're here maybe for the first time today, that you've picked a really, really great week to come to church, because we're at the end of a series. Now, if you've missed the last three weeks and you're brand new in church today, that's all good, because today... We're having a bit of a roundup, a bit of Q&A, like a highlight reel of the last three weeks. So you may have missed them, but you actually haven't missed anything. So it's all good. And um, we're just going to kind of pull apart the series and have a little look into some questions that we might have over the last few weeks. But let me just say this before we start. These two people are due the biggest uh, honour ever because we get to do church. I don't know if you're aware, but we are hugely privileged here at Liverpool One Church because these people right here put in time, they put in effort, they put in study, and I just want to say on behalf of everybody here, and I did this at the 11am as well, just a huge thank you for everything that you both do and your sacrifice and your study time, which... Thanks, mate. That's very kind. An amazing couple and amazing leaders. And there you go. It's getting rowdy. This is going to be an easy night. (laughs) And we're done. There we go. Do you know, so let's, let's just jump in. This whole series has been called Living on Amber. And hey, let we... me just say this, though. Let me just interrupt and just say, like, firstly, that's so kind and thank you. But honestly, you know it's what, I think, it, yeah, it's all Emma. <laughs> I would probably every good say man that, is a good woman, people. <laughs> I would probably say that everything that we are fast becoming as a church actually in the main is down to the incredible volunteers that we run with. In fact, do you know what? I think that um, people will say that the leader is nothing without the pack and the pack is nothing without the leader. This is a team situation, you know, because we are wholeheartedly appreciative of every single person that volunteers time and sacrifices to make Liverpool One Church happen. So I think that you should give yourselves a great big round of applause because we think you're awesome. Awesome stuff. So we've kind of called this whole season um, that we've been in over the last three weeks, this series, we've called it Living on Amber. And we've basically called it that because we realised that in the same way that our UK traffic light system moves from red through amber to green in transition, so our lives also have periods of transition in them. So we've been looking at how we can transition in the right way, in a good way, from one season of life to another, and that's the kind of topic that we're going to be pulling apart tonight. So, without further ado, let's jump in. Uh, Luke, firstly, um, what do you do in life when you can see where you want to go, um, you can see where you want to be, but you feel stuck in your now? What do you do when you just have a plan, you see a plan, but you feel stuck in your now? I normally just ask Emma what to do, and she tells me (laughs) in no uncertain terms. Um, You know what, I think that what you're describing there is probably something that we've all kind of experienced at some point in our lives, right? It's like where you are now just feels to you like you're in a season that's frustrating you because you're not able to get to where you really want to go. It's almost like 
You can't live in the dream that you incubate in your heart. And this can affect us on so many different levels. You know, you can't get the promotion that you want. You can't get the, the business off the ground in the way that you thought that you'd be able to by now. Or you can't get the relationship to be the way that you thought or you'd have hoped that it would have been. And it can kind of leave us feeling this sense of being overwhelmed at the fact that we're just stuck where we are and where we are now is not really where we want to be and we want to go to where we see and believe maybe God's got for us next but it feels like we're stuck and I think that I for sure have definitely experienced those times and seasons in my life. Um, I think we all have in part and I think probably for me the best thing that I could say to encourage you if you just feel like life is stuck right now It would be the same thing that we would all learn from the words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, where he talks about being faithful in the small things. And in fact, that verse goes on to say that if you're faithful in the small things, then you'll be faithful when you have more things. And I think that there is so much to be learned from that simple principle right there. And often we discard the small things because by nature of what they are, they look small. They look insignificant. You know, when you're just doing a job that you don't really want to be doing and you incubate a dream to be the the CEO or the director and yet you're the T-boy in the office, it doesn't feel like what you're doing is all that great. And yet, if it's a small thing that you're doing, then just be faithful in the small thing that you're doing, no matter how insignificant it feels, no matter how small it looks to you and to everybody else. Just do whatever it is that you're doing to the absolute best of your ability. I almost feel like by doing that, it becomes the key that really does open up the doorway for you to move from where you are now to where you want to go next. And I think biblically, that's got its evidence throughout the scriptures so much, right? I mean, we could just look at the life of David. I mean, David, who, when you think about it, on the day that he was anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel, he isn't even brought to the anointing party. His dad, Jesse, just kind of like completely sidelines him and he has to be called in from the fields. In other words, that on the day that Samuel anoints David as king, what we find David doing is just taking care of the small, seemingly insignificant things whilst he's looking after his father's business, out caring for the sheep. And yet here is a guy that gets called in that moment to be the future king of Israel, yet he was found just doing the seemingly insignificant things. What's interesting about David as well, and I'm sure we can all recount the story, but he was the guy, right, that ended up fighting Goliath. Well, do you know how David got to be the guy to actually fight Goliath? Well, he was only there at the battle line, at the scene of battle, because he was being faithful taking care of his father's business. His father had given him an errand to kind of like, hey, Will you go and deliver some cheese sandwiches to your brothers who are all old enough to have already enrolled in the army? And David, because you can't go and fight, will you take the sandwiches to your brothers? And by nature of David being faithful in the small things that he was asked of him, he ended up being positioned for the great things that God had in store for him. And sometimes if you want to end up in the right place in life, it just starts off by being faithful in the small things. So I would just kind of say that no matter who you are, where you are, if you feel that you're stuck, like you can't move from where you are now to where you dream of going next, just do whatever it is that you're doing right now to the absolute best 
of your ability. You know, if you one day want to be the chef in the restaurant, but right now you're the guy that just parks cars, then you park those cars to the absolute best of your ability. If one day you dream of being the finance director and right now you just crunch receipts, well, right now, crunch receipts to the absolute best of your ability because I promise you, even though it might feel small and insignificant, nothing is small and insignificant in God's eyes. When you're faithful in the small things, I believe that God will trust you with bigger things. So good, so good. You also spoke in the second week about how wise people in life spot warning signs coming of trouble that's ahead of them. Um, I wonder if you could just maybe clarify. So what are some of the warning signs and how can you spot them of troubles that are coming ahead How can we be wise and spot those things coming in our lives? Yeah, I mean, I think that what we're referencing there is this idea that Solomon teaches in the scriptures where he talks about how wise people, prudent people, they just seem to have a way of going about doing life that's just better than everybody else. It's almost like they're able to see trouble coming before it actually gets here. It's almost like no matter what decisions they're having to make in life, no matter what change, what transition, they're able to spot trouble when it's on the horizon. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you can be a bit like, why didn't I see that coming? You know, I think that your question relates to, can we figure out warning signs? You know what? I think that there are many warning signs and for every different person, the warning signs that trouble is ahead is going to vary for every single one of us, right? I mean, Warning signs can come in the form of the small print or how a boss responds in the meeting or maybe even a word in your ear from a loved one. But I think more importantly than trying to map out what the warning signs actually are, I think it's really worthwhile observing, well, what is it that often makes us miss the warning signs that are so clear and plain for others to see and yet we often miss them? And I'm convinced that we miss warning signs when we live life in isolation. When you choose to make some of the biggest choices and the biggest decisions that you've got going on in your world on your own, I think you position yourself into a platform that says you are most likely to miss the warning signs because especially if it's emotional, right? Especially if you're being asked to make a decision about, you know, what you're going to do with your life or where you're going to purchase a house or what car you're going to purchase. I mean, we all know how emotive purchasing a car is for some of you. You know, you get in the car and before you know it, whether it's a good deal or not, you're buying the car. And yet, if you would just not make that decision in isolation, if you just talk it through, maybe with a parent, maybe with a friend, or maybe with somebody who you know is really good at handling their money, they might be able to see the warning signs that would be coming your way and would be a huge problem to you and yet are completely avoidable if you just have the conversation. You know, I think even me and you could say that. You know, I think, Dave, the fact that we would talk, you know, in a a very informal way. It's not like we sit down and we have a meeting to discuss everything that we may do, but we would just chat things through. I'd like to call it when we sit down that we'd have a meeting, but that's not what often happens. (laughs) (laughs) Our meetings often end up not as meetings because Dave or Courtney want to mess around. That is typically the way that it goes. That's so not true. That's so unfair. (laughs) You know, we were in his office the other day and I'm staring at this big green plant and I'm like, dude, where did you, when did you go shopping to buy yourself a great big plant? And he was like, I just found it. And I was like, you just found it? Like, where did you just found it? Find it. And he was like, in the foyer. I was like, you nicked the plant out the foyer and stuck it in your office. He was like, are mine are done? 
It's still in church. It's not theft, people. Don't act like you wouldn't have done it. It's a good-looking plant. Bamboo. Yeah. There's no intent to permanently deprive, so it's not theft, okay? He was always going to put it back whenever he was requested. Problem is, he was never going to be requested. But here's the thing. I think that just being relational, you know, in a very informal way, can really help you miss some potential problems that are on the horizon of your life. Like just include people in your world, you know, talk things through. I mean, even like we've spoken about, you know, even like things, what we're going to do as a family. And I've spoken about, I'm um, thinking about doing this as an investment. And you've said, oh, I'm thinking about maybe one day doing this. And we'll just soundboard ideas off one another. But when you do that, I think that that in itself can reveal problems and warning signs. And I think it's really important Check who you do life with, check who you hang out with, check who you allow to speak into your world. Are they trustworthy? Um, have you got good history with them? I think it's one of the beauties about being in church as well. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who gets to the traffic lights and I get distracted really easy. I'm like checking out what that woman's wearing as she's walking past me or I'm looking at someone's dog or whatever and I'm easily distracted and then there's a horn that toots behind me to tell me the lights have changed. I've sat on amber for too long, move on. And church is a little bit like that. I think you surround yourself by the right people and they'll give you a kick up the backside at the right time and say, hey, you know what? You've been distracted. You know what? That, that's coming into your world as a distraction. It's going to take you off the goal that you've set before you. It's going to stop you from getting where you really want to be. And so, yeah, check your friends, surround yourself with the right people. Good. I, I actually remember um, one super quick story, I promise, from when I was in the police. I ended up um, attending a report of this older guy in his late 70s, early 80s, who basically had been a victim of fraud by, you know, I think it was like thousands and thousands, way in excess of £10,000. And basically, he'd sent this money in response to an email that he'd received out to someone in China via Western Union, you know, the money transfer thing. And um, just in conversation, I was kind of like trying to get out of him. Why did you do that? And he was kind of saying, well, I received this email and it claimed to be a long lost relative of mine. And it basically said that I'd be due an inheritance of like a million dollars or something. And all I had to do was pay this release fee of like 17,000 pounds. And then this money would come to me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is crazy. This was always going to be a scam. And I'm saying like, what made you think that, that this was going to be legit? I mean, are you Chinese? He's like, no. Is your wife Chinese? No. Have you got any family that's Chinese? No. What was it that made you think that you had some long distant relative who was Chinese wanting to onboard a million dollars into your life? And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I just think like, if only he'd have spoken about that to just one person, to just one member of his family, to just one friend, I think that anybody would have been able to say like, hey, I see trouble on the horizon. Whatever you do, don't do that. But that in a broad sense is what happens to us. We think we can handle everything on our own when in reality, we often get side blinded by a bunch of stuff that if we'd have just invited and included somebody else in, we'd have avoided the problem in the main anyway. So good. Uh, um, we call this whole series Living on Amber. But can you just kind of explain to us all here now, maybe we don't know we're in an amber season, so how do we actually identify an amber season in our life? How, how do we go about spotting what we're in one? How yeah, do we look for good it? Question. So um, <coughs> the amber 
it's kind of between places. Amber is that sweet spot in the middle where you just feel like life is on pause, it's not progressive. I think warning signs to yourself or indicators to yourself that there's an area of your life on Amber, whether that's an area, maybe it might be your marriage, it might be in the workplace, it might be the way you're parenting your children, it might be around your finances or your health. Um, an indicator that you're on Amber are things like um, anger. You get very angry because you're frustrated around a certain area in your life. And that outworks as an angry person. You know when you're really worked up, but you can't really identify what you worked up with. You're just frustrated. Jealousy is another real telltale sign when you're envious of somebody else or envious of the way someone else is doing their life, envious of their marriage or envious of the way they may look or what they have. That's a real indicator that your life is, is, is hit an amber season because life's meant to be progressive, right? We, we as humans, we're progressive in everything that we do. We, we're constantly changing and moving. And the way you think when you're 30 is different to the way you thought and processed things when you were 15. And the way that you think and process when you're 50 is going to be different to the way you thought and process things when you're 30. So if our lives are continuously moving and changing and we as people are developing, then the lifestyle that we create for ourselves, that should be progressive too. So if your marriage 10 years in, you're still fighting the same battles and dealing with the same issues that you were fighting and dealing with two years in, then something's wrong. You've stayed on amber for a long period of time. You've not progressed in your relationship together. Um, I think if you've been in the same job for the last 10 years and you've never got a promotion or a pay raise, there are indications that you know, you've hit an amber season and you're not moving on. As your children grow and you raise your kids, you've got to continuously change with them. You can't treat them at 18 like you treated them when they were eight. You've got to be able to change or else you live life stuck on amber and it's going to create a lot of headaches and mm. clashes along the way. Yeah, good. Great. I think um, after the amount of time that you and I have done life together, I think that these guys modelled the first time I saw huge sacrifice. And I know that in this series, you've spoken about maybe when you move from one season into another season, sometimes there's a sacrifice needed. And oftentimes, it's quite a big sacrifice that's needed. And when we first started this whole church venture, 12 of us all those years ago, I saw you guys making some of the biggest sacrifices I've ever seen first hand close up and I wonder if you could just kind of explain to us how do we decide what to sacrifice and how do we decide when to sacrifice it if we want to see that change that we so want to see yeah sacrifice it's a word that I don't think that we in our culture really fully understand when you look through the scriptures at what sacrifice actually is. I don't think we have the full understanding of what that, that means. Sacrifice is painful, and sacrifice does make you go, ow. Um, anything less than that is just a token gesture to God. It's not actually a sacrifice. And I think you said something, I think, uh, in the second week that you spoke, Luke, and you said... Um, 
What did you say? Did you listen to me? That is a first, perhaps, in our entire marriage, I think. You said, sacrifice now for what you want to see later, for what you want to see in your future later. And so it's almost like some of us will go through life and we'll grumble and complain at the way things are not and what we don't like and what we dislike and, and, and we'll point fingers at everybody else and what they're doing and how they're doing it. But the truth is this, that you can create for you the life that you really want, but you're probably going to have to sacrifice some things along the way. And, um, you know, we, we, we're responsible for obedience. Mm. God's responsible for the outcome. And um, you need to relieve yourself of the pressure of that because what you deem as a sacrifice and the sacrifice that, that will make you think you just can't give anymore. It's like being on a diet and you're just craving the chocolate or the crisps, but you made a deal with yourself. I'm not going to touch them because I'm so got my eyes set on, you know, being my target weight. But it's sacrifice. It's going to cost you. And that's, that's one very light example. Um, but you really have got to decide what it is that you want in your future. And the, and the sacrifice will always take you to the edge and always make you think this is just going to absolutely um, break me. But what you see as a sacrifice, God sees as a seed. And he uses your sacrifice as a seed to grow something. And there's so many of us crying out for things in our lives that we really want to see, but we're not prepared to make the sacrifice. And God said, but I need the seed of your sacrifice in order to grow something. So I think that sacrifice as well is it's an investment, like you say, but it's a demonstration of trust. You know what? I mean, you probably would remember this as well as me, but I, I mean, we've had a number of different times and seasons in our life where we've looked back and thought, wow, we've sacrificed a lot, but without doubt, probably like the most difficult time or period of sacrifice that I feel that we ever kind of did was, um, I don't even know why I'm saying this. We, I didn't say this at the 11, but, but a couple of years ago when you were unwell, we would be living literally hospital like every single week and you'd be on this chemotherapy treatment and we would like we would dream big you know like hey if we beat this cancer if we get through this we'd scroll through this right move app and we'd like we'd pick a dream house and we'd be like as soon as we get out of it if we pull through this we're gonna move house and um and you know the score because literally it was like the day after, we got the all clear from the consultant after having been in hospital for what felt like forever. We ended up starting to create a capital campaign to purchase this building. And um, we literally, I think it was something crazy, over like 16 weeks, we needed to raise like, it was hundreds of thousands of pounds. I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but even we had a decision to make, like, are we going all in again for this? And and for me, it wasn't the money, even though the money that we wanted to sow into the church was going to be the biggest amount of money that we'd, that we'd ever sown at all. But it wasn't that that was hard. It was the, God, I'm trusting you now with the dream. And when you've had a dream in such a broken season of your life, where you feel completely abased and feel like completely grounded, that I feel like 
that type of sacrifice means more to God than somebody who could just throw in a million pound check. I mean, seriously, because it's not about the money. It's about what it costs you internally. And when it costs you internally, you're doing it because it's an outward demonstration of faith that says, you know what, God, way more than what I dream and incubate in my heart for that life of my family right now, I want to build your house more. And I'm going to trust you that if I look after the building of your house, you'll look after the building of my own house at some other point in my life. And I'm willing to wait for that. But that for me um, was the most difficult time period of sacrifice would you say the same yeah yeah so you know we 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 talk we tell these stories it's not to blow our own trumpets up at all but it is to inspire you about the goodness of God because he's so faithful he is so faithful and when we started the church you know you were involved Dave and Um, There was 12 of us, we started in a living room, and we had to get out of the living room and into the city somehow, because we were, you know, calling ourselves Liverpool One Church, but we were in a a living room that wasn't even in Liverpool, so we had to make some changes. And um, we'd had this inspired idea, um, you know, God-inspired idea, and, um, but we had no no finances, no backing, no support, no church backed us no church planted us it really was just what we felt God inspired us to do and we went big then as well and so we we um we cashed in all of our life savings because this was our bag now we had to take the weight for this we cashed in all our life savings we um did a number of stuff including we ebayed everything that wasn't nailed to the ground in the house we ebayed the lot just to try and raise some finances, we kept the dog and the kids, and that was about it. And Should have sold the kids. Yeah. And, we, um, and so we, we, we went, you know, we did that big again. And, um, and, and that was hard. That was really, that was probably a harder season for me. Because, you know, um, the important thing is when you're doing something as a husband and wife... May I just say that you are in agreement. You are in agreement. And I'd say probably Luke is more of a risk taker than I am. But I tell you, and this is just a little pearl of wisdom for all you single ladies out there. You get yourself a guy that wholeheartedly trusts God. And then you trust him with your everything. And don't even have to question it. And so I know that he will lean into God for our next step. And so... We gave our everything and then Christmas came around and we literally had nothing to give the kids. We didn't go on holiday that year. It was, it was just a tough time. And um, you can go through anything as a couple, but when you're seeing it affect your children and the rest of your family, I would just go and bury my head in the pillow and cry. But I always remember God saying, it's a sacrifice. You see, it's a sacrifice, but in my eyes, it's a seed. And I look at this, I look at you, I'm like... Thank God we sowed that seed. I'm so glad that we took that step of faith and sowed the seeds that we did. And so, you know, if God is challenging you about a sacrifice in your life, whatever that may look like, maybe it is in the area of relationship. And maybe, you know, you've got to sacrifice some stuff that you're doing morally wrong now for a great marriage that's down the road in your future. And that's hard. It really is hard promise you when God calls you to make a sacrifice and stand up and be different it is so worth the wait that's so good I don't know about anybody else but that just inspires me and I know that when these guys talk about sacrifice they're coming from a place where they live this 
So it's, it's kind of like we can sit up and listen to kind of leadership like that. Um, I've heard this saying before now, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I guess that we've used that, that phrase a number of times. Now, does that have any kind of a place in seeing you move from an amber season into a new season in your life? Can your friends really make a difference to where you go? I think absolutely yes. I believe that statement is absolutely true. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You can almost see where someone's going to head up, end up in life by looking at who they associate with today. You know, there's a, I've heard someone way smarter than me say this statement, and I think it was something like, if one day you aspire to be the statesman, then today you have to stop dressing and acting like the clown. And I think that it's really hard and difficult to stop dressing and acting like the clown whilst you incubate a dream to one day be the statesman if all you're ever doing is hanging around and running with a bunch of clowns. It's incredibly difficult. And yet I think it's super important that sometimes you've got to make a decision that you want to dress for the season that you believe is coming in your life. And sometimes that can have some really significant changes because you've got to choose well who you're going to run your life with. I mean, I'm so grateful um, that there's a bunch of people on our staff team and volunteer team here at the church that we genuinely get to run with in life. I would not want to do that on my own because I know that we've got some of the best people, not just in Liverpool, but I mean like some of the best staff team and best volunteer team on the entire planet, Liverpool One Church. And I know that our future is safe and secure because we're trusting in God, but because you guys are so smart as well. And I think sometimes you've just got to almost like, if you feel that greatness is on your life, you've got to align yourself with greatness. You know, I'm mindful of um, the story in 1 Samuel 14. It's like right up there for me in terms of Bible stories. I just love it. And it's the story about Jonathan, who was a guy that basically made a decision that he was no longer prepared to join the pity party that was currently taking place under King Saul and all of the army while sat all depressed, all discouraged under a pomegranate tree because they felt that imminent death was going to be imposed upon them by this gathering garrison of Philistines. So Jonathan basically made a decision and he said, you know what, I'm not having this. I'm not going to join the complaint party. I'm not going to join the depressed party. I'm not going to join the discouraged sitting under a pomegranate tree, no longer refusing to take a stand or do anything. That's not for me. So Jonathan turns around to this guy who's referred to in scripture as his armor bearer. And he kind of, he makes this statement, doesn't he? And he kind of says to him, you know, look, I think that this is what we should do. I think that we should go and show ourselves to this Philistine camp. And then dependent on how the Philistines respond to us, we're going to take that as a sign that either A, we're all going to die, in which case we've lost nothing, or B, if they respond in a certain way, we're going to trust and believe that that's a sign from God that we should go and fight them and we should be, we should be victorious in battle. And he leans to his 
armor bearer. And I always imagine how these conversations kind of take place, probably very similar to how we lead the church sometimes. It's like, hey, I've got an idea. This sounds a little bit crazy, but, but maybe God's in this. And he kind of leans over and he says, you know, maybe God's for us. I'm thinking we should go and show ourselves like this. And the armor bearer just literally responds to him and he says this to him. He says, do whatever is in your heart and within your soul. Like I'm with you, heart and mind. I am with you. Where you go, I'm going to go. But what's fascinating to me is that that armor bearer, whose name we do not know, he is written into the entire fabric of history, not because he was at the right place, not because he was doing anything special at the right time, but simply because he was running with the right person. And I think that's what we've got to make a choice and a decision to do sometimes. Just run with the right people. If you can see, like in terms of your mind's eye, a dream of where you want to get to in life, make sure you're running with people that are going to help support you and get you there rather than hold you back and give you all the reasons why you shouldn't take a risk and give you all the complaints about why you shouldn't be so daring. But, but, but go and take a risk, like trust God. Maybe he's for you. What's the saying you two have? Uh, well, we have several, many of which we probably couldn't repeat on the platform. So many but... sayings. <laughs> I know that's his ridiculous saying. I think I heard you say that first. I believe I was quoting you. Okay. (laughs) There was a saying that we referred to many times in the office, and uh, Luke actually said it at the 11. I'll let him say it again for you in a minute, but I interjected, and uh, we do have another saying, which is... um, How can you soar with eagles when you're running with turkeys? And that, I think, kind of epitomizes um, how how your (laughs) friends... Yeah, how how your friends can affect uh, where you end up in life. But yeah, there are many other sayings that we have which we might we do. We do have another saying, actually, that we kind of laugh sometimes when we've got a crazy idea and we kind of look at each other and all kind of go, well, how hard can it be? Because sometimes you've just got to be around some people that go, listen, we don't know exactly everything that we feel we should know about how to do this, but we're willing to have a go anyway. If you want to get to where you want to get to, sometimes you've just got to make sure that you're running with the right Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Just time for one very quick last question before we kind of wrap this up. Emma, you said that um, sleeping Christians are the biggest threat to humanity. Um, how do we spot if we're a sleeping Christian? How can we avoid, how can we avoid that? Yeah, a sleeping Christian is, um, once you're saved, you're saved. You know, we're going to heaven. And, and that's the end of that. But God has called us to live, um, to live out our Christian life here upon the earth. And he has commissioned us with a great work. And that is, the objective is, we're to take as many souls with us when we go. Sleeping Christians, kind of like sleepwalkers, really. Mm. Sleepwalkers, they go through life and they look like they're awake, but actually they're asleep. So they are unaware of the actions that they are they're doing and and sleeping Christians are very similar to that we can go through the motion and we can look like we're the real deal we can come to church on a Sunday we can clap and we can sing and say all the amens and go home but then Monday to Saturday we just live our life like our neighbor like our work colleague it's no different we are actually ineffective 
And we're called to be the salt and to be the light and to be the difference. There's got to be something that's different about us. You know, we walk in the authority of Christ and it's time that we woke up to the responsibility that we've been given, but also just the power and the presence of God that is upon us. You know, if, 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 um, if you were to dress up and wear a police uniform, you would look the part and you might have the public convinced, but the truth is there's no authority and no power behind you because you are not hooked into the bigger picture. You have not been commissioned and we've been commissioned to do something. And I think quite often we can go through life, we can look like we're, we're doing all right, we can look like life is sweet, we can look like the good Christian that goes to church and does the right things in the right places on a Sunday, but in the week we don't even open our Bible, and in the week we just forget to include God in our everyday life and forget that that person that you've just brushed shoulders with and you've just engaged in conversation with is, is a, a soul and, you know, we have a responsibility to share the goodness of God with the rest of the world. I don't think that this is actually the kind of church that anybody would get the perception of, like we're, we're, like we're maybe trying to build some sort of a country club or a golfing club, a little community for everybody, because that is not our heart. We understand wholeheartedly what Matthew 28 is all about, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we really are about everyone. We exist to change lives for Christ one life at a time and and we can't be part of a church and not understand that we all have a role to play in that and the day that we don't see our Christianity about being reaching others for Christ, I think right there and then we are we're fast asleep because it's not the call that God has got for your life or for mine. We're all to partake in the responsibility of seeing souls won for the kingdom of God. You know, I want to get to heaven and almost like to look around and there to just be a bunch of people that I go, you know what? I'm so glad I took a risk on inviting them to church. I'm so glad I took a risk on sharing the gospel with them. I'm so glad that I was willing to go out of my way and be inconvenienced to just share Jesus with them because that really, for me, is the essence of what Christianity is about. And the moment we move away from that, I think we're fast asleep. I preached on that last week. You should have been listening. (laughs) That's where he got his material. Elise's trophy room, that's right. (laughs) You just went rooting through my desk and took that out of next week's notes, so don't give me that. Do you know, we really hope, everyone, that this uh, series has been hugely informative for you, and we really hope that you've got some stuff from it. We really do pray for every one of you and, and the body of the church that, that we want you to live well, we want you to live strong, we want you to all be winning out there. And um, just as the tech guys come and tear this all down and Luke and them just make their way off, can we just give them a great big hand? Yeah.